Welcome to the Senior Story Hour, where we share poems, stories, observations of life, written by the Franklin Senior Center Writers Group. Welcome once again to the Senior Story Hour. Steve, I think we have an amazing show lined up today. I'm going in fully cognizant of the fact that every single time we do these programs, I am surprised. And overwhelmed? At least, at the least, well, and it's occasionally over. Never under. Never under. No, no. 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 Overwhelmed for sure. And it's January. We're delayed because of schedule things, but we're ready. We are. We're spring loaded for success once again. Once again. I am Peter J. Steve Sherlock is with me, as well as are are we a cohort today? A cohort of writers? Mm-hmm. Yes. Cohort sounds yes. a good word. Is there a, is there a number in a cohort that I don't know about? Uh, not limiting to this group, I don't think. <laughs> okay. And who joins us today in our cohort? Let's find out. Al Larkin. Kathy Salzberg. Faith Flaherty. Bill Wiley. Hi, I'm Joe Ewald. Alice Judge. I would say that is an excellent cohort. I, I would agree. <laughs> yes, we're w- well within the realm of a cohort. And Bordering on a panoply. <laughs> I mean, this is a writer's program, so I'm trying to use my college words. Yes, the 25-cent words that we spring every <laughs> once in a while. Yes, exactly. So it's been a while, and I'm glad we're all back. We are in the studio. We're actually all here, uh, which is a wonderful thing, and which obviously has been somewhat difficult to do on a regular basis given our circumstances with COVID. But God bless us, each and every one. We are here to celebrate our togetherness, and to tell our stories as usual. That said, I think we jump right in up to the neck, and we'll start with Faith. Thank you. The name of my short story is The Raincoat. My inspiration for the story is the famous Russian short story, The Overcoat, written by Nikolai Gogol, published in 1842. The Overcoat and Nikolai Gogol have had a great influence on Russian literature. In fact, it has been called the greatest Russian short story ever written. The story has been adapted into a variety of stage and film interpretations. And here is my humble offering to add to Nikolai Gogol's inspirational short story. It is a sequel to my faith in Fido fables. It's now summer. And Faith and her rescue cat, Fido, have been together for three months now. And Faith has grown to love her little feline friend. It's a good thing Fido is a talker, because Faith would really feel foolish carrying on a conversation to a furball. Today, Faith and Fido are on the screened-in porch planting seeds in small peat pots. Later, when they are seedlings, they will go outside in the garden. The planting was interrupted. Faith was not entirely surprised because she had seen a man in the neighborhood going door to door. I wonder what he's selling, she thought. Fido and Faith left the porch to answer the doorbell. It turns out that the salesman was selling solar panels. Presently, the family isn't interested, maybe next year. When Faith closed the door, she was surprised to see that Fido's fur was up on her arched back. Her ears were back and her eyes were large and round, and she was hissing. Good grief, Fido. I get it. You didn't like that man. Well, he's gone. Let's get back to our work. The rest of the day passed uneventedly. The seeds were all planted. 
The porch was cleaned up, and Fido had had a busy day sleeping stretched out in the sun. It was time to start preparing supper. However, the preparation was interrupted by the doorbell a second time. Once more, it was the solar panel salesman. While Faith greeted the man with a surprised smile, the smile on her face froze midway because the man quickly stepped over the threshold and reached over to the coat rack and stole the raincoat hanging there. It happened so fast that Faith's smile was still frozen on her face. It was Fido's screech that snapped Faith back to reality. What? Faith stepped out, ran across the lawn to the sidewalk. She looked left and right. She wasn't sure which way the man ran because he was completely gone. What do you make of that, Fido? Fido had no response except to make figure eights in and out and around Faith's legs. I don't believe what just happened. How strange. Faith picked Fido up and caressed her. I suppose it could have been worse. He could have stolen you, Fido. Fido purred loudly. It still is bizarre. Why steal a raincoat on a nice sunny day? A sequel, if there I can think of it. <laughs> <laughs> Why steal a wrinkle on so, a Sunday? Sounds like continuation. <laughs> I, in fact, I have another story with animals in it. Ah, what surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is a little late for the season, but it's called the dog's New Year's resolutions. <clears throat> Number one, dump my obedience trainer. She is such a control freak. This year, I want to replace her with my own personal coach. There is so much more to me than sit, stay, and heal. I've had it with living only to please others, never for myself. How would my owners like it if I told them when and where they could go to the bathroom? Would they like going potty on command? I think not. My personal coach would identify my own needs and desires at least should help me to find them out. Life is short. My new year will be the equivalent of my master's next seven. I need to explore my full potential. I want to be me. Number two, stand up to the cat. That frivolous little furball does absolutely nothing useful around the house. No fetching the paper. No warning the folks when intruders approach. No keeping on the backyard keeping the backyard free of squirrels. She eats, sleeps, jumps up on my, on any piece of furniture her heart desires. She sharpens her nails on the sofa and woodwork, fouls the atmosphere with vile odors from her porta potty and throws a hissy fit every time I sniff her. How come it's always us dogs who need an attitude adjustment? If ever a pet needed obedience school, it's her. I guarantee you, that creature wouldn't heal if her life depended upon it. Next, find a new groomer. I am sick, sick, sick of the same old hairdo. It's always the same look, year in and year out. Clip of the body, trim the leg short, a little puff on my head, and fuzzy cheeks. Yeah, it's a sensible cut for a middle-aged dog like me, and it's very low maintenance for my owner, but it's about as boring as a bowl full of kibble. I want to wear my tresses long and flowing, 
like Fabio. I'd like some blonde highlights, too. I am so ready for a new style with a little pizzazz. Next, master human body language. My owners pretty much have my body language down. No biggie. After all, it doesn't take a Mensa member to catch my drift. Ears and tail up. I'm a happy camper. Let's go for a walk. Ears and tail down. I'm sorry I chewed it. I didn't know it was your favorite softball glove. Or, I'm sorry, I couldn't hold it in for one more second. I had all four legs crossed, and I was ready to burst. Where the heck were you? Did you get caught in traffic? Fanny up, front down. Let's get ready to rumble. Rolling over with legs in the air. How obvious is this? I want a belly rub, and I want it now. As for the behavior displays of my Mr. and Mrs., I find them a bit more puzzling. Why does she get so worked up every time he goes to the Home Depot for a screwdriver and comes home with other stuff, like the new ladder, the wheelbarrow, as big as a rowboat, the riding lawnmower, or the do-it-yourself skylight kit? Why do I have to share the couch with him? when he comes home from that New Year's Eve party at the office, smelling like a mixture of Jack Daniels and Evening in Paris. Why does he shoo me out on the porch when he brings flowers home and puts on that Barry White CD? <laughs> Why does he spend all his time in the basement in his workshop when her mother comes to over to visit? Why is he over? Why is he so overprotective about the remote control? How come their baby can crawl all over the house, but it never gets crated? When I drool, it's disgusting. But when a little rugrat does it, she picks it up and coos and wipes its little chin. Next, stand up on my hind legs and de demand more respect. Excuse me, but the word dog is not an insult. It happens to be the name of one of the universe's most loyal and intelligent creatures, not to mention drop-dead gorgeous. How come humans use it as a put-down when women are trashing a man with an eye for the ladies other than themselves? What do they say? He's a dog. When a group of guys discuss a female whose looks wouldn't make it in the human show ring, you know what they say? She's a dog. Dog-faced, dog-eared, dog-tired, sick as a dog, dog-breath. Always such negative terms. Not only are we good-looking and smart, some of us are getting fed up with our status as, quote, pets. We're canine companions and bona fide members of the family. In spite of a few fleas and a little furniture gnawing when we were too young to know better, we are members of your pack not playthings to be discarded once we've outgrown our cute stage. This is real life here, not a Jackie Collins novel. Maybe it's time for us to take to the streets. Forget Free Willy. How about Release Rover? Look at me. I'm getting all fired up with revolutionary fever over here. I'm panting. I'm visualizing a pack of furry rebels running loose in the streets, commandeering kennels, hijacking the animal controls officer's truck, locking pet shops, clerks in cages, 
and setting those pricey little puppies free. Oops, I got to take a break here. The missus just got home, and she's carrying a bag from that new doggy bakery. Whoa, canine crawlers. I've got to sink my teeth into those babies. I'll get back to my mutt manifesto tomorrow. Well, maybe Wednesday if she takes me for that long run on the beach like she promised. Very good. All right. Very good. Yeah. Do you have fun writing that? I do. I, yeah. I really do. She knows how dogs think. I do. <laughs> mm. The dog has more New Year's resolutions than I do, I must confess. <laughs> so, you know, I, I feel no shame. I, but yeah. I didn't reach very them? far this year. <laughs> you did? Them? Yeah, right. I don't make them because I don't keep them. How about if I go? If you'd like to go, absolutely. I would love to go. Alice <laughs> has requested to step up. This is a big moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going to... Sit here next to Alice in rapt attention. <laughs> well, I hope it's worth your rapt attention. I'm, I have full faith and confidence. This is called the Lavender Quilt. I spied the bright colors in the zip-up clear plastic bag sitting in my condo foyer when I was going out to walk my dog, Pookie. The package looked lonely, as if it was looking for a good home. And sure enough, when I passed by, there was a hand-scrawled note saying, free to a good home. Excited, I quickly snatched the unexpected present I knew that came from divine intervention. You see, my daughter and son had just painted my kitchen, hall, and bedroom as a Christmas present for me. I had chosen lavender for my bedroom. Lavender is why I snatched the package in the foyer, because in that clear plastic bag was a quilt with green leaves and lavender flowers. Just that morning while making my bed, I had a conversation with God, a short, quick prayer, sort of uh, idle chatter, one might say, or a wish list, that a color-coordinated quilt would go nicely with the lavender curtains and deep purple bed pillows. But I knew I didn't have any extra cash for a queen-size quilt, and I thought no more of the matter as I proceeded to get dressed, walk my dog, and get on with the day. Since my husband had passed to be with the Lord, I hadn't successfully maintained employment and had only recently obtained work in senior care helping people care for themselves at home. Upstairs, I opened the quilt. <clears throat> yep, it did look queen-size. I spread it out on my bed. Yes, it was queen-size. That afternoon, I took my new acquisition downstairs to wash. Since then, I have been enjoying the warmth of the quilt on my bed as every evening gets colder and New England prepares itself the long, cold winter months ahead. Good. Mm. Did you like all that lavender? I did. <laughs> I did. I'll, I'll go next if you want. Bill is ready. Spring loaded. Oh. Excellent. Something About Nothing by Bill Wiley. Lost for words, what should I say? The time flies past with each day. Should I do this or should I do that? Before I know it, the time is past. Is this good or is it bad? It makes me feel so sad. Should I touch or should I not? 
Not sure of what I got. Is it pretty or is it right? Is it loose? It feels a little tight. Should I put it on or take it off? Who cares of what it costs? Should I wear colors or just go black? Not sure of where it's at. This poem, I'll call it nothing. I'll try to pick it up without touching. Is it in the air or is it not? It's nothing, that's what I got. This is the end of something about nothing. I picked it up and I did it without touching. Not sure if I should do it again. So goodbye and I say amen. (laughs) The next one should be everything. Everything is here or something. (laughs) There you go. Bill serving up much ado about nothing. That was fun. Clever. Very clever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that was really something. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Good one. I've read it. I've read it. I've read it enough times that I know how to read it now. Yes, that was great. Well, Seinfeld. uh, He's always said his program was about nothing, and he he did very well. Yes, he did. Hi, I'm Joe Ewald, and my little thing today is about homelessness and mental illness. So we'll start first with homelessness, which can come in many forms and shapes. When I was 14 years old, my best friend was getting beaten by his dad, and he needed a place to stay. So I asked my mom, and she said, sure. And... um, we took care of him for a couple of days. And my whole thing, background thing here is when you're homelessness or about to be, it's, it's a horror show. And um, I'll have some examples coming up here. So we took care of him. And then fast forward 30 years, um, I was messing up with drugs. And uh, I was living with my brother at the time, and he wanted nothing to do with me. So he got a place of his own. I had lots of money, and I just blew it in different ways. So I had nowhere to go. So I called my sister-in-law up in Maine, and she was willing to put me up for a while. But then when I was there for a couple of weeks, she was starting to get tough on me because I was in a funk. So um, I worked on getting a room at the YMCA, but... I didn't have any money, and so (laughs) I lied to my sister-in-law and said I was all set, and I went there, she dropped me off, and I had nothing accomplished. So I talked to the landlord at the YMCA and begged him to um, uh, let me have a room, and I will pay him later on. So I don't know if you know the city of Portland, but it's got lots of great services. Uh, If you, like, fell... This is the way to get up. And they're the only city or one of the few that has all these services. So the landlord gave me a break, and he hooked me up. I paid my rent by working for the city of Portland. And my job was to clean the shelters, and they had those green plastic bags on the floor. And it was like sending me a message to get my act together. And so I did that. And uh, eventually got a job working for the YMCA. And uh, I had my nephew up there who helped me out a lot. And he told me that his wife and him were in a homeless shelter. And they had to, like, sleep with everything on because when you're homeless, you get into a shelter, 
there's r rapid stealing. So people will take what you have. So he had an experience there. And uh, I stayed in Portland for six years. And uh, I saw the same people in the bread line that were there six years ago. A few of them, not, not many, but a few. We switched 30 some more time to, to the future. And then uh, we have homelessness in Franklin. Uh, I'm just going to use John Doe the first. Stayed behind the old member of uh, Bob's clothing store. Mm -hmm. uh, he stayed. They had some chairs back there, and he stayed there. And eventually, he got housing. Um, and then I switched to John Doe number two, and uh, he had nowhere to go. He was sleeping in the woods on a wooden pallet. So um, somebody had me talk to him. And eventually, we got him into a program to stop drinking. He's doing good now, as, as far as I know. We switched to the situation at Mass and Cass, which um, I think uh, the mayor there is doing a great job getting them off the street and into a facility to help them. So um, we have a situation there. And the whole thing about when you... First, our homelessness, it's really scary. And in a weird sort of way, I give tribute to the homelessness because they show a lot of courage. It's not easy to sleep, you know, outdoors. And you can also say, well, they, they were the ones that put themselves there in, in the first place. And that's probably true. But the whole aspect of not sleeping in a house or a home, mm. scary. It is, because I, I went through it. And, um, you know, a lot of this is um, caused by mental illness. And uh, I'm going to shoot off the board here and say uh, mental illness is involved in a lot of things. Uh, you know, shootings, uh, all, all kinds of things. And, like, what I would propose, propose real quickly here, it's probably unconstitutional, but if you, when you go to apply for a gun, you should have a mental illness check, mm. which they don't do. And I don't know if that's constitutional mm. or unconstitutional <clears throat> to, uh, to play that. But um, I show a lot of empathy for the homeless people and uh, people that have mental illness. And uh, I just say prayers every day, every day for them. So um, hopefully um, in the future, things will get better for the homelessness. And that's my little story. That's a good background for a novel. Mm. Thank you. Good testimony, Joey. I'm oh, thinking yeah. it's Al's turn. Oh. It could be. Yeah, right. it could be Al's turn. My story is about the uncanny that happens in the world, and it usually leads to wonder. We wonder, wonder. So the title of my story is, It's a Small World. There have been some strange coincidences over time in our family relationships with others that are hard to calculate as normal. They're all connected with our family experience on the little province in Canada called Prince Edward Island. 
My first surprise came in a conversation with uh, Louise Burroughs, a fellow volunteer with Caritas Hospice Organization, then in Norwood. I picked up on her Prince Edward Island accent and inquired of her heritage. She had been a schoolteacher from Prince Edward Island, near a place where I spent summers as a boy with my grandparents, John and Maggie Lynn, on their farm. When Louise heard that, she said, Oh, I picked potatoes on Lynn's farm. Wow. When her fellow pickers asked her why a schoolteacher was picking potatoes, she told them she was there to get Maggie's recipe on those great ginger snap cookies they all liked. Maggie said she uses bananas. That was Louise and my being just curious. Subsequently, our family acquired an old schoolhouse on Prisoner Island, and we began using it for summer vacations on the island. It's a small farm area, crossroad, on the edge of a cove and bay called Orwell Cove. One morning I was talking to our priest, Father Paul, about vacations, and he told me he was going to Prince Edward Island. So I told him, we go there too. He had then asked, where do you go? I told him, we go to Orwell Cove. He then said, I think that's where I'm going. Father Paul later confirmed it. He was visiting a fellow priest named McDonald just down our road. That was Father Paul and friend. In conversation, be curious still. In my work experience with Boston Edison, I was filling in as an overhead troubleshooter, and I got a call to go to the former Governor Herder estate in Millis for a part-off electric problem at the caretaker house. I fixed the fuse problem, and in conversation with the caretaker, noticed he had an accent I was familiar with and inquired with my usual curiosity. Well, sure enough, he was not only from Prince Edward Island, but from Orwell Cove, too. He grew up there and went to the school, our schoolhouse building, as a boy. He lived just up the road from us on land that I know of. That was Danny Brown. Be very curious. It can be revealing. My mother-in-law, Margaret Murphy, Conroy was her maiden name, was at a family gathering in Westwood, where she met a woman named Mary Conroy, Mooney was her maiden name, whose husband came from the same village in Ireland as Margaret, but she was actually from Prince Edward Island. Margaret then told Mary about our family, the Larkins, owning a schoolhouse in Orwell Cove. And didn't Mary then say, I taught school there? Wow, again. Got to know Mary and her family very well over the years. That was Margaret and Mary. Conversations can generate surprises. One day, my next-door neighbor, Edith, told me she recently visited a friend in Maine where she met a woman named Shirley, who is your neighbor in Orwell Cove. So let me see. A woman from Norfolk meets a lady from Prince Edward Island in Maine who turns out to be 
our neighbor too. Yes, Shirley is within yelling distance from our schoolhouse. That was Edith and Shirley. My world is shrinking. Our youngest daughter, Donna, went to a singles woman gathering and sat down next to a woman uh, there at the gathering, and they started to get to know each other. While in conversation, she noticed the woman had that P-E-I accent. <laughs> the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does it? Turns out she lived in the next community to the cove and was a close friend to our very close friends next to the school. This woman attend, happened to attend the wedding that we went to way back. We didn't meet her then and we didn't know her, but there she was at that wedding that we had gone to years ago. That was Donna and her new friend in conversation. Is it live and learn or never stop being curious? Summers at the Cove is where I met Bill McRae, a retired merchant marine. Bill had some very revealing island and Boston stories. Boston stories, he had stories, all kinds of stories, about the island and about uh, his experience in Boston. He knew my father and my uncle, and when he saw them in a dance hall coat room in Roxbury, they were, da they were practicing their step dancing for the crowd at the pub below, owned by another islander. The crowd never let them get thirsty. Bill McRae got around to that and more stories to tell. One such was his remembering as a boy, my grandfather, John Lynn, coming to McRae homestead with his mother, Mary Lynn McRae. Well, she happened to slip in the mud, and as a young boy, I guess he got a chuckle out of it, so he remembered that. <laughs> it was her maiden name, McRae. She was Mary McRae. And that makes her my great-grandmother, who grew up in that house in Orwell Cove. The Larkin's genealogy confirmed it in conversation. To wit, we are family there, and we belong in Orwell Cove. That's Bill. Curiosity carries the day. It's a small, small world. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. That is a great piece. <laughs> that is a great piece. Phenomenal. Uncanny. Phenomenal. So, Steve-O. Yes, sir. Where do we go from here? Well, we started with a cohort, but I have a quintet. Does that count? <laughs> I'm, I'm with that. I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. You're down with that. Okay. So, last week, the group was having a discussion uh, around the development of shirku and the syllable counts. So with that in mind, um, and then with the cold weather this weekend, I spent some time catching up on two uh, videos. One, uh, a show put on by Billie Eilish, who's kind of one of the younger movie, not movie, but singers, and a little bit older than her, Taylor Swift also had done uh, a show. So with those two sets of videos in mind in our conversation, I came up with the syllable quartet. Number one, vocal beats compose the phrase build to the sentence and more to the full story. Vocal beats compose the phrase build to the sentence and more to the full story. 
number two. Paint spots, not pointillist, impressionist. Threads, woven, tapestry for all time. Paint spots, not pointillist. Impressionist, threads, woven, tapestry for all time. Yeah, I didn't realize until now, but Monet made it in here. (laughs) (laughs) He did. Yep. Translating images and wonder, an attempt to bring you along the ride. Translating images in wonder, an attempt to bring you along the ride. Breath, rhythm of heart beats. I just wanted you to know that this is me trying. Breath, rhythm of heart beats. I just wanted you to know that this is me trying. And the fifth, the quintet of the group. You show me many colors in the tapestry I can't see with anyone else. You show me many colors in the tapestry I can't see with anyone else. Thank you. Mm, Those are wonderful. It was a cold Saturday, but an inspirational one. Indeed it was. Indeed it was. Which really gives me a good segue to what I wrote. How about those segues? <laughs> How about them? <laughs> Which is basically a little bit about creativity in general. Yeah. Uh, the title of this piece, a simple one, Shedding Light on the Bright Idea Bulb. We shed light, but we don't throw shade. <laughs> True, <laughs> yes. Not in, the good, not in the bad way. No, exactly. I once illustrated a light bulb with a flower inside, a yellow orchid. Why put a flower inside of a light bulb? My flower bulb illustrated an important idea about being creative. Most new ideas are created by bringing together two or more unrelated things or concepts that have never been combined before and arranging these in a way that offers some new meaning, clearly the backbone of poetry. The idea for the light bulb itself was originally developed in 1850, by Joseph Swan. It was perfected to practicality almost 30 years later by Thomas Edison. Edison also observed an electrical phenomenon in his bulb, hence called the Edison effect, where electrons boil off the hot filament and travel to a positively charged metal disk. However, he didn't know what to make of it. He didn't know how to use it. Years later, other inventors Ambrose Fleming and Lee DeForest applied the Edison effect to great, I'm sorry, applied the Edison effect to create the electronic radio tube. The light bulb went on to become the audion. Thus, ideas beget still other ideas. Edison's bulb was a truly great idea, widely touted originally as a safety lamp because it didn't generate its light from burning candles or gas. The bright idea light bulb first dawned on Felix the Cat in the 20s, as Edison's bulb and electrification became widely accepted. As an enduring cartoon cliché and cinematic trope, the bright idea bulb illustrates a flash of insight, that eureka moment. My flower bulb was simply a new take on the concept. It illustrated that through patient, 
and nurturing, most folks have the creativity to grow beautiful and valuable ideas of their own. Are flower bulbs valuable? Well, tulip bulbs were once hoarded and exchanged like money in Holland, but that's another story. <laughs> A more recent twist on Edison's bulb, twisted fluorescent bulbs offered up three times more light for the electricity used. Now, there are even more efficient LED bulbs of all manner, leaving us to ponder how idea bulb illustrations might look in the future. Note, no flora were harmed in the making of my bulb. Of course. <laughs> of course. It's amazing. Uh, creative, creative people in every aspect of life, and whether it's science or medicine, mm -hmm. creative people become a building block for the next person exactly. who becomes the next creative building block, etc. Exactly. And, and uh, this is the way it works. Uh, it's... It's, it's wonderful what each one contributes or adds on to what the other has done, you know? Yeah, and there's so many concepts around the creativity. Certainly I was going at the thread and the tapestry, but yeah. picking up on kind of the juxtaposition that you mentioned, yeah. that's the root of humor. Yeah. Yes. When you get two opposites yeah. that make that <gasps> surprise, it's like, it's yes. funny. Yeah. <laughs> and yet the insight is there. And look at look at this uh, recent thing with vaccines. The woman that took a different approach to vaccines, and 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 then recently we had building on what she had done. Others followed the same the same way route, etc. And in in and come up with the vaccines we have today mm -hmm. that are so much more efficient and and uh, serve us in so many ways. And people are building on that again. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It really is. Yeah. We're very blessed. Steve, I think we've done it again. Knocked the ball out of the park. Another show happened all around us, and we were there to witness it. We participated. We heard. We, we read. And it turned out to be relatively painless. Yes. <laughs> the cohort was good. Yes. If not great. Exactly. So I'm Peter Jay with Steve Sherlock. Once again, thank you for joining us for the Senior Center Story Hour. And once again, I thank our panoply. Al Larkin. Kathy Salzberg. Faith Flaherty. Bill Wiley. Hi, I'm Joe Ewald. Alice Judge. Thanks for being with us here on Senior Story Hour. Until the next time, I'm Peter Jay. Remember, be they laced with gravity, levity, wisdom, or whimsy, the meaning, experiences of life become a little larger when you share them, when you take a moment to commit pen to paper and just write. This is FPR, Franklin Public Radio.